0: We interrupt this program to give you a bulletin just received from one of our naval units at sea. A large object traveling at supersonic
1: speed is headed over the northern... Land. Once a normal, voluptuously beautiful woman, she drove into a nightmare of horror and saw, descending from the sky...
2: Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. I feel retro-gasmic. Retro-gasmic.
0: Retro-Gasmic! Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Retro-Gasmic podcast. I'm your host, Dee Dee Deluxe. And in today's show, we have a very special guest: author, photographer, and punk legend Mo Rat, all the way from Las Vegas. So, hopefully, on the line, uh, live from Las Vegas, we have uh, living punk legend Mo Rat. How you? How you doing, mate? Legend. <laughs> how
1: you doing? All right. Good morning or afternoon or whatever it it's, is. Like uh, a bit- it's uh,
0: nine fifteen in the morning, which, as a musician, is an unearthly hour. But it, it fits in well with you. It's, a, it's about midday for you, isn't it in LA? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Chucking it down with rain and uh, getting a little chilly, but apart from that, it's all good. Oh, it's beautiful yes. It's
0: uh, glorious. When I go out for my yeah, run later, with my lovely. rucksack full of rucksack, wet sand, it'll be beautiful. So, uh, tell us a bit about what you've been what you've been up to in the last uh, the last twenty years.
1: You've been a busy boy. The twenty? You want that in the no, 30, no. Minutes, twenty years? Um, uh, I suppose moving to the states was the, one of the the biggest things. Really, that was got my visa two days after nine eleven, and I was like, oh, do I really still want to move there? <laughs> <laughs> so what prompted but,
0: that? Because you're always a London boy, weren't you? Same as me.
1: Yeah, but it just started to lose its appeal. I mean, part of it was a bad breakup, and six thousand miles was far enough away from her, and. But, you know, London was just starting to get expensive and violent and overcrowded and the rain gets you down all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? And I, I just, funnily enough, I didn't know much about L.A. really. I'd been there for work, but no more than a couple of days staying in the Sunset Marquee. So I didn't know the reality of it, you know, and uh, didn't really know anyone. You know I mean? I just moved with a suitcase, which was uh, interesting, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So how did you get into, I mean, uh, uh, for people that don't know a, a bit about you, you've been a, a journalist pretty much since you were old enough to pick up a pencil and, you have you know, mainly in the metal and punk scene. You worked for uh, Metal Hammer and Kerrang! and then Metal Hammer again and a few other bits and pieces. And then you went on to write uh, kind of um, alternative punk fiction fantasy books kind of thing. Is that a fair...
1: Yeah, sort of. I mean the Kerrang thing sorta happened by accident. I used to hang out with their their art director, a guy named Crusher. Yeah. I actually met him at my mothead gig when he was getting thrown out. And I had a all access pass, so I'm like, No, no, he's all right, you know and we started hanging out and I don't even know how it came up that I I ended up reviewing GBH of all things at the George Roby.
2: Yeah.
1: And they paid me for it. I'm like so what you're saying is I get paid to go and see bands I was going to go and see anyway, and I get free albums, and I get in for free. Right, I'll have some of that. <laughs> yeah. The Crasher, and,
0: Crasher, uh, yeah. Crasher gave, gave us one of our first first decent reviews, I think. Nice guy. Yeah. Always liked him. He yeah. had, he had a, a ridiculous show on uh, MTV at one point as well, didn't he?
1: Oh, what was it called? Um, Best of British or something like that? No. Um, I can't remember, mate. It was – yeah. Many, many years ago, but yeah, yeah, I mean that's how he that, does that, that kind of rock started. and roll voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that was how the writing, the writing started, and yeah. I, it was the only thing I was ever any good at. You know, I, at school I, I failed everything apart from English, so and I was obsessed with music. So where else are you going to go with it? You
0: know? No, absolutely, absolutely. So what, what about the photography? I mean, I guess uh, if you were going to gigs and you're writing, it's it makes sense that you take a few photos and this i mean you got into the photography back in the film days i'm guessing so it was pre you know i mean i've got a mobile phone now that's better than a dslr as far yeah. as the, the photographs it takes you know but you would have been um you know 35 mil film i'm guessing
1: yeah they, i mean that was again that was another complete accident um i was asked to go out to uh holland with poison idea i don't know if you know them right? yeah I of course punk back and, uh, you know, do an on the road story for a week and none of the photographers would take it. They were like, no, that lot's crazy. Like they're, they're all drug addled lunatics. I'm, they're not going. You know what I mean? Right. So Karak just said to me, well, take a camera and see if you can get anything. You know what I mean? So I, I didn't know what I was doing and, uh, took some dreadful pictures that, that I got paid more for than the rain. And I was like, well, I enjoyed both of them. I'd always liked photography. I just couldn't afford a camera, like a decent one. So I spent the money on that bought you know, decent camera. And uh, it was a weird learning process because I was getting work straight away, like when people spent years trying to get their foot in the door. I was already in the door, but I didn't know what I was doing. So yeah,
2: yeah,
1: I had learned on, on the go. Like the first time I encountered the no flash rule was like, oh, God, what am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know bad in the dark, you know, <laughs> especially with film because if you mess it up, then that's, you've messed it up, you know. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And you also, you only get kind of thir- 36 attempts, don't you? <laughs> well,
1: that's it. Yeah. You get in those days, you get a roll of film. You might be able to get through two rolls in your three songs, but that was it. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I put a lot of effort into learning it. Not not only because it paid well, but because I really enjoyed the results of it. And it's uh, a different sort of gratification. You know, I mean, especially in film days, because you had to wait to see if you got the shot or not. Yeah, you know?
0: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I mean, I did a, I did an art degree, so uh, I spent a lot of time in the dark room, you know, with a piece of grade three paper, trying to get a, a, a moody black and white shot to look how I wanted. And you know, as, as it gradually appears, it's it's, it's always exciting. It's, it's a bit different now, where you yeah. kind of you you click thirty photos and you just quickly scroll through them and click the one you want and then apply a load of filters. It's a, it's just different, you know.
1: Yeah, I was kind of a Luddite when it came to moving over to digital. I, I resisted it for ages, but then it just got so expensive to do film. Yeah. And yeah. magazines don't really want film anymore. They want it now. Like, if you yeah. shoot a gig, they want it the next day or something, and you can't do that if you're in a different country. You've got FedEx the prints over, and and people will lose them as well. That's the good thing about digital is you like, if they lose it, you've still got it, yeah. Absolutely, you know? yeah. I've had so many shots that I've done. I did some really cool shots of Lemmy around the rainbow and all that for uh, Penthouse Magazine. They're all people, and uh, they lost them all. They, I mean, they ran them, but then they lost the, the originals. And I was like, Did
0: you still have the negatives?
1: Dis- no, that they, they like on transparency film, oh, you just give got you, the-
0: 35 mil, yeah, 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 like yeah, slides, yeah. It, but... So I, I lost.
1: And it was kind of disappointing. So,
0: I mean, uh, you did quite a a bit of work on and off with uh, Motorhead. I mean, uh, I I know. uh, I mean, we we supported them, Mornblade supported them a handful of times. And uh, you know, they the the one thing about that band that uh, I don't think people realise is that they always looked after the 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 support bands in in that you were never uh, they never. Didn't let you use the full PA, and they never restricted. You. I yeah. mean, you know, when we did the Hammers with which is the Apollo gigs now, um, Lemmy made a point of saying to the sound guy, you know, give them the full thing, don't turn them down, and you know, it was, you know, hats off to them. Very few bands were confident enough um, to to let the support band have a fair crack, you know. Um, but you, yeah. I mean, you 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 kind of got to know Lemmy as well as anyone could, I guess, on and off. He must have a few interesting stories because he was a super smart guy, but definitely a, a, a bit of an enigmatic character. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I've had days where he'd um, come over and buy you a drink and be quite chatty, and then other days where he'd walk past you in the street and you'd say hello and he completely blank you. And it was kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just kind of an odd,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of weird because I got to know him before any of the, the magazine stuff. Just, I mean, I met him at a couple of gigs, and then I started following Motorhead around the UK on my bike. Yeah. Just, but they always toured in the middle of winter as well, so you're up to Manchester in the snow on, on your motorbike. That's right, yeah, yeah. Which, <laughs> uh, and uh, he found out we me and my mate were following the tour, so they just put us on the guest list for the rest of the tour and always made sure we had beers and stuff. That's just who he was, really. Yeah, yeah he was pretty fair, and, that's uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, and the, the funny thing is he actually gave me – a a lecture one night at Dingwall's because I was a bit of a lunatic when I was younger and getting in fights and doing stupid things. And uh, because I didn't have a father figure, he pulled me to one side and just sat me down with a bottle of Jack and gave me kind of a lecture about, you know, you've got a brain in there and you should use it. and Otherwise you're going to go to jail or be dead. And uh, he was always really proud when I started working for Kerrang because it was a, I'd actually done something, you know what I mean? Instead of just being a loony. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, we ended up well, we ended up neighbours in the end. When I moved to LA, he was uh, half a block away from me, really. So. Oh,
0: okay, so just round the corner from yeah. that uh, uh, that bar with the, uh, the the digital fruit machine at the end of the bar that he used to play all the time.
1: Oh yeah, he was. he actually died in front of that thing. They moved it to his house, um, like when he got sick. Yeah, and he went to went to sleep playing it, which was like <laughs> you couldn't get you couldn't get more lemmy than that. He had no, it's drinking what like, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I ended up. I, I got asked to speak at his funeral, which was uh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah. <I'll bet. laughs> but it was, so a huge honour, you know. What I mean, because I've known him for thirty-five years, and uh, but at the same time, you're looking out and there's like Ozzy Osbourne and Slash and all these guests, and you're like, Jesus, what am I doing up here? You know. Yeah. But <laughs> that was, I think they wanted his friends as well as just people who were, you know. In the business,
0: or whatever. No, for sure. I mean, and it's you know, he was a, a it was a, a hugely important figure as well. I mean, it's the, the for me, Motorhead were always the bridge between heavy rock and heavy metal and punk. And uh, you could argue the Ramones kind of did filled the same role as well, but Motorhead really were the you know, uh, it was the only the only band really that culturally and musically kind of crossed that properly crossed that barrier. And uh, you know, yeah, yeah, was just fantastic. Tell you what, let's um, I've I've asked you to pick a few songs as I always do when we've got guests on the show. Um, You've chosen one for Motorhead. Now, do you you mention Motorhead in in one of the books
1: as well? Don't you? Yeah, well, I mean, I I riff in the the fantasy fiction ones. uh, Basically, uh, the first two that came out are just well, like I was saying earlier, that one of the reviews I got said. uh, Sons of Anarchy meets Lord of the Rings on drugs at a cage fight, which is <laughs> kind of summed it up, you know. And the first two are about a motorcycle club um, and their their adventures. But I also got permission from them to use lyrics. Uh, I've used a bit of "Bomber" and a song called "Out of the Sun." Yeah. In in the second book, and you know, obviously you you mentioned they're very much within the culture that we're in, so there's a few nods to moment ahead. Yeah. And then in the new one that just came out of the punk book, it's there's a little bit about how I first met him, which was uh, the day before Prince Charles and Lady Diana got married. I was wandering the streets being a, you know, a lunatic. I walked past this place called the venue in uh, Victoria, yeah, which no, isn't was, there. Yeah, no, it was. he was just a doorway with a couple of hell's angels. And I went in and asked for an autograph and to give you some idea of what it was like, like I'm, drunk, 17 years old, I'm like, can you sign my shirt? And he went, have you got a pen? I'm like, no. no. <laughs> and he just, he handed me his drink and went, well, wait there. And he disappeared for like 10, 15 minutes. I'm like, he's not coming back, is he? Why would he come back? And he did he come back, sign my shirt, and no one goes to that much effort for a fan, you know. No, right. And, and gave me his drink.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> okay, well, let's let's this. First, your music selections. This is Motorhead, Limb from Limb. To, uh, ferocity.
1: F- ferocity. Well, yeah, it's a play on words. It's it's City, but if you put it together, it's ferocity. Yeah. You
0: know. So it's a it's it's kind of a, a biker gang
1: road movie kind of thing. Yeah, very much so. It was, it was. I grew up on sort of fantasy fiction, sci-fi, and those remember those awful biker pulp books? You know, yeah. like the Bike from Hell and. Yeah. Yeah all that and i you know i I just kind of grew up reading those and um i just wanted to write something that i'd enjoy reading because i didn't find it out there enough i like a lot of terry pratchett stuff but he's not sort of hardcore if you know what i mean yeah i mean they're really funny
0: and 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 well-written books and uh, you can read them in one sitting but it is a bit kind of aimed at teenagers isn't it kind of thing it's a bit
1: yeah 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 and mine certainly, it's it's aimed at the later, the, the tear-away teenagers, if you know what I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. Or, or, or later than that, you know. And it's, yeah, it's, it's about a, a, a fictional motorcycle club whose name, funnily enough, the name was actually based on a club that I was in briefly when I was very young and we thought we were really, you know, we're bad dudes and then realised that we really weren't, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> And so, so that was in t- 2014 something. and then you wrote The Road to Ruin – Ruin, yeah, I get, yeah, I get it, yeah. In th- so three years later, and are th- the two things kind of follow on story wise, or are they kind of standalone pieces?
1: I, I, well, they follow on, but I like to, I like to do it so you can uh, read in, in any order because I, I don't like it when you pick up like third one in a series and you don't know what's going on. No,
0: that's right, yeah.
1: So, but it is a follow on. It's the same. A lot of the same characters, and it's based in. Uh, well, Australia and uh, Los Angeles through to sort of around Area 51 and all that sort of
0: stuff. Gotcha. So did you spend some time in Australia or was it just from research?
1: Yeah, oh, no, I've been there a few times. The first time was for a big day out festival in, I think, 94. Yeah. I was out there with Soundgarden and the Ramones and that's like, a really great festival. Um, then went back again with the Prodigy in, I think, 97. And the last time was with the wife in. uh, We went to Perth in, I think, six years ago. So one the 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 hotel we stayed in is actually in the book. Um, because I like I like to reference things that people can look up as well and go, oh, that's real, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the the, just picking that one out, the, the prodigy. That must have been interesting, <laughs> in, in, interesting in inverted commas, because those, those boys have a reputation of, <laughs> yeah.
1: They <laughs> were great, actually. It was, it was uh, they always treat me with a, a great deal of respect, which I, you know, basically because I saw them at Glastonbury in 95, uh, completely by accident. It was them all watch Oasis, and I'm like, yeah, I don't want to see them too. So, uh, and then my mates were going to see the prodigies, and I really resisted because all I'd seen before was that those dancing buffoons with the white gloves, and you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we finally got over the other end of the field and waited for what seemed like forever. And then this rock band came. Oh, what seemed at the time like a like this isn't techno anymore. No, you know what I mean,
0: no, it was heavy. So it was I went very and, heavy.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I found, funnily enough, I found the, the video of it the other day, and it's more dancey than I thought at the time, but. Somehow it came across as a, a very heavy rock band. So I went into Kerrang! on the Monday and, like, we've got to start covering this band. They're awesome. And they were obviously reluctant. <laughs> and it t- took about two or three weeks of going in every day, going, look, the buzz hasn't worn off yet. we got to cover this band. And to their credit, they or they probably just to get rid of me. They went, all right, we'll give you a couple of pages. And right after that, Firestar came out and yeah. uh, solidified their, their reputation in the rock world. So, but yeah, they always treated me really, really well because of that, because I was the first one to write about them in a rock and roll magazine. Yeah. And like most people, when you're shooting a band, they give you the first three songs and they'd always give me the whole set, mostly because I was dancing too much to take <laughs> photographs. <you know? laughs> I've
0: seen your dancing, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I call it, literally call it dancing, I suppose.
0: <laughs> yeah, pe- people that um, don't know my rat, um, when he dances, it looks a little bit like an excited Tyrannosaurus Rex.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: <laughs> it's all arms and legs.
1: <laughs> Sainsbury's trolley with three wheels missing. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: So first book in 2014, second one in 2017, then Punk's Not Dead, the latest one this year. So the gap the, the yeah. between the books is getting smaller. Does that mean you're, get, you're, you're becoming more prolific?
1: Uh, no, it means I started on Punk's Not Dead a long time before the other two and didn't really get around to finishing it. And it's a different style of writing as well, because everything in Punk's Not Dead is true. And I've just got to do a little research on the venues. and oh, you know, okay.
0: So is it kind of almost great... aut- autobiographical a bit?
1: Oh, oh, almost entirely. I mean, I, I, I like I don't know if you've read uh, Bill Bryson at all. Yes. He's a tra- travel writer. And I love his style and he's very funny, but he'll, you'll follow him for pages and pages and then he'll take you to see a Ro- Roman plate or something. Yeah. i like, I don't want to see a Roman plate. You know, I want to <laughs> see a rock thing. <laughs> so I've t- I tried to incorporate some of that, um, like a little bit of the history of the venues and even things like the history of St. James's Park where I, I, I crashed there one night in my sleeping bag, you know, and I knew nothing about the park. I didn't know it used to be swamp land and then it was, Bought by some king and turned into like a zoological garden with an elephant and a, you know, and I found all that fascinating as well, you know, stuff that I wouldn't have cared about when I was 17, but I now find, find interesting, you know, for sure. So yeah. I've put a lot, I've put a lot of that in there and like the history of the venues and, you know, who played there and all that sort of stuff. But the rest of it's just me being a reprobate really and the uh, staying in squats and doing things I shouldn't be doing.
0: at least it's documented
1: (laughs) so people are asking for a part two and I don't think I could do it in that way because this is a solid two weeks and because it's that formative your first experience getting away from home really and away from parents it's so vivid to me and I don't think I could do that again without breaking it up you know what I mean whether here's a gig from here or here's a gig from there but there isn't any period of my life that's that that vivid, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or well, maybe you could do the uh, um, getting off the plane in LA onwards.
1: I have thought about it actually, but it seems a little bit cliché, to be honest. There's a lot of a lot of people go to LA with the same expectations, and um, a lot of them are disappointed. Or yeah, it was funny. I like I said, I didn't know anything about the place, so I, I all my mates are in band. So I oh, when you get to LA, give us a shout. So I called them and they were, Oh yeah, we'd love to see you, but we're on tour till January. Yeah. And this is October, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I didn't realize how vast the place was as well and how like you have to have a car. And I didn't have a car. Um, and it's, it can be a very lonely place as well because, uh, because it's so spread out, you'll meet someone at a gig and then you won't see them again for two years because they live in Anaheim or something and it's just a different part of town.
0: Halfway or whatever. Yeah.
1: And so it hasn't got a, a really solid scene, if you know what I mean. Whereas yeah. Vegas now, I find it, because uh, it's kind of a small city. You see people at the same gigs all the time, and you know.
0: So something we haven't mentioned is that you're um, you're now officially a musician.
1: Oh God, I wouldn't I know, call it I know that. You've,
0: <laughs> you've on and off, you've you've jumped in and out of it, but. Uh, yeah, tell us about tell us about the soldiers. So, um, what, what's going on with that at the moment? Are you are
1: you are you near to releasing anything? Uh, we finally got round to recording something uh, recently. Um, it's weird because we started the band in 1981, I think. So this is the End- Sol- Sol- End- Sol-
0: soldiers of destruction. If people don't uh, know what we're talking about,
1: yeah, it was I and mean, it was a we, we weren't that bad. It was a you know a little punk rock garage band or whatever. And we got to the stage of being reasonably big without recording any, anything. Like we had headlined the hundred club and played with GBH and exploited and all that sort of stuff. And it kind of fell apart. I'd say at the end of 84, um, it was definitely our bass player got murdered. So that was, that was the end of it Ouch. really. And then the guitarist died a few years later, um, of drug related things. And I just never thought it was going to happen again. Why would it? You know, it was done. But then through YouTube I started because there's there's really old tapes of us that someone, you know, with a GAo blaster at the back of the gig recorded them. And I started to get messages. So when like the first one was funny. It's like, When are you gonna play in Russia? I'm like, Russia? <laughs> How do you know us over there? I haven't yeah. even heard of it, right? Um And I, I was like, Well we're not ever gonna play again. Two of the band are dead. I haven't seen the rest, you know, I haven't seen the drama for a long time. And then it came about. I was interviewing uh, Leaving from Fear um, about their first UK shows. This I don't know, a few years back now. We were talking about bands. He said, well, why don't you open for us?" And I'm like, "Because I haven't got a band." <laughs> well, you should get one then. And I thought, like, "Yeah, or right, maybe." And it was—it was always sort of, "Well, why not?" Because yeah. it's all—it was always done for a laugh in the first place.
0: So you managed to pull a band together, did you?
1: Well, I started off. Thinking about it in LA, but there's a lot of flaky people, and, and the distances involved are just ridiculous. And right. then when I moved to Vegas, there's such a good punk scene here that I found a guitarist almost straight away. There's a punk scene and, in Vegas? And, yeah, it's really healthy, actually. There's i God knows how many, but like, I'd say about 50 or 60 bands.
0: Oh, really? That's fantastic.
1: Wow. Yeah, and uh, some of them are very good, you know, and there's a lot of little dive bars and stuff to play in. We play in a place called the Double Down quite frequently. Uh, our bass player is a bouncer there which helps and uh, yeah it's a really good scene here and through that we got got to recording with a dude who'd who'd seen us play live a couple of times and he runs this thing called Americant Records and I had to be persuaded because we never recorded anything the first time around and I was like eh I kind of like the fact that we didn't do anything because it makes it enigmatic or and because I hate my own voice, so like hearing my vocals, is straight. Like, oh, God. <laughs> but if I, if I hadn't done it, the rest of the band would have quit, I think. So yeah. I'm like, all right, let's do this. And it should. we've done the, the initial six-track sort of EP, and it's just got to be mixed and stuff at the moment. So.
0: I'm looking forward to hearing that. Well, let's have another of your selections uh, as we're talking about punk. Uh, it's got to be The Damned. The, the one you've picked um, isn't the most punky of The Damned songs, but it is a great song. And it was probably one of their biggest hits as well, as far as uh, charts and stuff are concerned.
1: Uh, Yeah, well, it was difficult to choose. I I actually nearly chose a a song off their second album because it's so underrated. What one? Smash Smash It Up just reminds me of a good time because they used to play a lot of seated venues. And the minute they played that, all the seats would get pulled out and (laughs) at the stage. A lot of house parties got wind as well
0: so yeah well, well let's uh, let's see uh, let's see uh, smash it up by the damned Uh, just looking through your your uh some of your other choices um you got a susie Banshees song on there now um i know a lot of uh my kind of hardcore punk mates uh obviously i was more of a, a metal guy in that era but um a, a lot of punk punk mates and they always regarded susie Banshees as kind of being a pop band that were kind of on the bandwagon but um when I got to know Glenn Matlock and uh, a few other people that were kind of obviously much more involved in the scene, she was at gigs a bit like yourself and, and really involved in that early London punk scene from day one. So Yeah. yeah, she's, you know, she kind of, even though the stuff they did was a bit more, well, without being disrespectful to the punk scene, but a bit more intelligent, um, she's got every right to to do what she did and i think she's got a great voice i love her delivery
1: yeah yeah i mean that, that album in particular I, I i chose that song um because it's mentioned a lot in the, the punk's not dead book well a part of what i was doing was i was supposed to be following the banshees tour but then i got waylaid and i think i went to three gigs or something <laughs> but it was the jj tour and they were so good It was also a ridiculous tour as well. It went on for months. It was like about four months, you know. Yeah,
0: no, they worked very hard. They were
1: so good. They were so good on that tour. And unfortunately, the whole thing was ruined every night by Nazi skinheads. There was like hundreds of them in there battering everyone. But uh, as a musical presence, they were very special, you know. Well, good musicians as well. Really underrated. Really underrated I mean, players. Uh, John McGock on guitar at the time, and the funny thing is, he came out and found me one night in the crowd. I think he thought I was a runaway or whatever, which wasn't far from the truth. But he was such a lovely bloke, he just sat down and he was like, All right, did you get in all right? And I'm like, Well, yeah, I bought a ticket. And he went, Well, no, you're on the guest list for the whole tour. I didn't even know what guest list was, you know what I mean? <laughs> and he, he was like, Have you eaten? Have you, like, just looking after kids, you know? Oh, yeah.
0: Well, let's, let's, um, let's, let bung this drone. This is a real atmospheric song. I, I love the vibe of this. This is Night Shift by Susie Nabanchis. Bye. photography side of your... I mean, you've got lots of strings to your bow, as, as I guess lots of people have to do nowadays. You can't just kind of rely on one thing. Especially yeah, they're you, all out of tune, though. Huh? They're
1: all out of tune, though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> strings to your... yeah um, Your photography stuff, you do um, some... I guess fetish-based stuff. I mean, you're, you're married to a, a fairly well-known... Model who uh, uh, you know she kind of has an extraordinary look, and she, she can pull off uh, real kind of extravagant um, looks, and still kind of make them artistic, should we say? And um, yeah. there, there's uh, there's a lot of people that do that kind of fetishy rubber wear, uh, fantasy wear, cosplay stuff, and just look. Rubbish! I nearly said a swear word there, but yeah, but, you yeah. And but uh, Mass always always looks brilliant. I mean, she's a real striking looking lady. But tell us a little bit about the, um, the you know, that side of, of, of what you do, because I'm I'm not I don't really understand how, um, I'm obviously apart from going and shooting sh- shooting a show or something and being paid for it. How how does that actually generate an income? Do
1: people buy
0: photos, or I mean, how does it
1: work? Uh, It's all changed nowadays. It used to be like if I shot her for the cover of Bizarre magazine or something, they'd pay me a decent amount and they'd pay the model. And, you know, uh, now it's changed to the extent where the model pays the photographer and because they, they're desperate to be in a magazine or something, which I, I don't really understand yeah. that way round of it.
0: It's um, like the Spotify model, isn't it, where musicians have got their music's being played to people and no one gets paid?
1: Yeah so I mean it has changed in that respect but it's also nowadays people can set up like I've got an OnlyFans account and a Patreon account and stuff and um, you can you're not selling images you you get subscribers who are into your work or whatever you know right. and the the Patreon one is uh, safe for work shall we say and it's more band photos pinups and it's it also gives people a chance to read my books as they're being written oh
0: okay
1: so i when I've finished a chapter, I'll post it there, and then it might get changed afterwards, but they're seeing the process of, of how it works. Oh, that's interesting. And sometimes, and sometimes how long it takes as well, because I won't post a chapter for a couple of months, you know, and then there'll be three or something. Um, and the OnlyFans page is just the, you know, the naughtiest stuff, shall we say. Oh, okay. But, okay. Uh, yeah, it was, it was weird, because I'd never really shot anything like that before we got married, I'd shot up a few girls for tattoo magazines and stuff, but not really any fetishy stuff or, and it was a totally different, I had to relearn how to do it. Um, cause girls don't want to look like Slayer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a lot more. i got this,
0: stuff. I've got this image of Dave Lombardo in a dress now. That's horrible. <laughs> uh-huh. <Good
1: thing>. uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a lot more particular as well. Like, you've got to get the hand placement, right, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it was a big learning curve. And the, the, the first pictures I took of her were just terrible. They were like, it almost made me want to give up shooting because I was like, I, I just can't get this. And then it suddenly clicked. And I'm like, all right, I, I, I can see it now. It's a, diff- it's just a different aesthetic. You
0: know? Do you have a studio at, at home with um, you know, backdrops and lighting and stuff like that? Or do you do you hire somewhere?
1: Uh, a bit of both, really. Yeah. Um, this is very good because you don't need permits to shoot anywhere. So, like, we go out in the desert or whatever, or if you're shooting PC stuff, you know, like, uh, safe for work stuff, we can just go out on the strip and pick a nice piece of public art or whatever. Yeah. Um, I do studio work as well. And, uh, yeah, we used to have all the backdrops. We just recently moved. We had all the backdrops just in the uh, got a long ceiling, so you could do that at home pretty easily. But we haven't put it all back up again yet. Um, but I, I do like shooting outdoors a lot. We did, we shot something yesterday with a client that was, uh, all flames and stuff. She's wearing this stuff with, uh, flaming nickel tassels or whatever. <laughs> you can't really shoot that indoors because they shed fire fans and all that sort of stuff, you know. Oh,
0: so actually flaming as in
1: real oh, fire. Oh, yeah, no, real fire. Yeah.
0: That sounds so dangerous.
1: <laughs> it's funny because people think all oh, this is photoshopped. I did a shoot with, uh, Misumi. Skin diamond and uh, who was the other? I can't remember. I'm, I'm gonna insult someone now by not remembering who they are, but it was a long time ago. And we had literally had a wall of flame. This dude who's a pyrotechnics dude, yeah, and uh, it was a proper wall of flame. And you had to count one, two, three, and then he'd set it off and you take your shot, you know. And that was uh, I assume his hair got singed in that one, uh, yeah. but it's funny, oh, yeah, Photoshop, shot, and it's like, no, that's real, you know? yeah.
0: Now, I I, I sympathise. I've, I've still got some scars on my chest from uh, pyrotechnics that went wrong during Mornblade gigs.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. actually remember you guys in uh, the Royal Standard in Wolfenstow many years ago and you set your arm on fire. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the uh, magical mystery painful. tour we did with uh, Doctor and the Medics. And we went on at 6 a.m. or something after Zodiac Mind Warp and it was an absolute cluster. And, uh, our, our young lad that was doing our pyrotechnics set some stuff off, and someone uh, had kicked it beforehand, and it basically just went off, launched straight into my chest, melted the, th- the top I was wearing, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the, the initial screams weren't high notes; it was me burning.
1: <laughs> I do remember as well. I so I don't know if any other people won't know, but I used to wrote you briefly for, for your band, and we went to uh, we went to we went to, Berlin, Germany Germany. we went to Berlin,
0: didn't we? We were there like two weeks before the war came down.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, some idiot gave me the, a smoke machine that I'd never worked before, and I used all of it in the first song, and then no one could see the band. Oh, that's, <laughs>
2: that's right.
0: <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Do you remember that crazy place that was um, like a converted church or something that was right on the wall? It was like a, yeah, a, a vaguely.
1: I, what I remember most is getting to some place in some. I'm not going to swear, but it wasn't a pleasant place. And we got there, and there's this horrible squat with soggy ma- mattresses and.
0: Oh no, it was the it was the biker bike, it was the biker gang place in. Um, that was another part of Germany. It's When we first got there, it was freezing cold. It was an old carpet factory, and uh, yeah. no one. We, we thought we were being expecting we were going to have sofas for the night, and they basically showed us this whole warehouse room with piles of mouldy carpet and stuff. And we tried to sleep on this mouldy carpet, and it was just too cold. And we ended up sleeping in the van, didn't we, in the car park?
1: Yeah, I remember the driver was particularly pleased about
0: that. Dave, <laughs> Dave, the army guy, kept kept yeah. doing kept doing press ups on in car parks for no reason.
1: Yeah, he was an nutcase. He was a nice <laughs> nutcase.
0: <laughs> All right, mate. Well, look, um, this is going to be the longest podcast in the history of podcasts. Um, oh, lovely God. to talk to you, mate. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, it's great to see you doing so well um it's been a long wait since i last spoke to you and that tees up very contrivedly this the last song um killing joke one of my favorite bands of all time and um i'll be honest with the with our listener that um you actually picked another song but i kind of wanted to wanted to play
1: this because i love this song um well you can't go wrong with killing joke can you really have you you ever done any work with them yeah yeah uh frequently uh jazz is uh Let's just say he's interesting. Yeah, about, he's well, that's the
0: reason I asked you because he's got a reputation of being an absolute lunatic. I mean, I've, I've heard, I've he heard, heard about him like basically giving people thousands of dollars worth of help out of the blue just because he heard that someone was in trouble, and then I've heard about him being horrendously abusive to. Virtually random strangers and being quite violent as well, by all accounts, like really angry. With oh
1: yeah, I was, I was out with him one night in Nottingham. They played Rock City, and we all went back to the hotel afterwards. And uh, Jim Davison, what Nick Nick
0: Davison, the racist comedian?
1: Yeah, he yeah. happened to be in the bar, and Jazz just started abusing him. He was like, "You racist!" Blah, and, you know, beep beep. And or well, to be fair, he was and, racist. I, I frightened him out of the bar. <laughs> and, then he, and then he got more drunk and he took a swing at I think it was Mickey D from over here okay and, uh, and then he tried to start a fight with me and I went Jazz we've known each other for years so don't be silly and, it, and he was like oh okay <laughs> Oh so, yeah he, he can be a bit of a, a handful
0: yeah there's a lot of anger isn't there built up I mean uh, you read the lyrics and you can tell it's, uh, it's simmering just below the surface but still, still a very talented guy and a great front man
1: yeah, and I always like them because they would – I mean, I like a lot of the, the – the, I was going to say standard punk, but there isn't really I – like, I mean, I like Discharge and Exploit and all that, but Killing Joke always stood out as being just a bit fringe and a bit crazy, you know. Yeah,
0: I mean, they kind of crossed over almost into that alternative stuff, didn't they? Yeah. A bit experimental Very in much. some of the stuff. All right, well, look, fantastic to, speak to you again, mate. Um, Hopefully uh, when the next book's out, we'll get you back on the show, and um, next time I'm in Vegas, hopefully – um, Boom Boom Deluxe will get over and play Viva Las Vegas one year, and uh, I'll turn up on your doorstep.
1: Well, I'll take you out and get you drunk, mate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm already already visualising what a bad idea that's going to be. All right, mate. Good to talk to you. This is uh, thanks for your time, mate. This is the Wait by Killing Joe. Thanks, my rat. Tada, mate. That's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. Do the usual uh, lovely review, share, like, all that kind of stuff. Uh, if you want to sponsor a show, drop us a message, and we will see you next time. Retro